Carl Johnson from the Brainstorm Podcast, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from some secret location, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I stayed at a really old hotel last night. They sent me a wake-up letter. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a woman who wonders if it's actually wrong that only one company makes a Monopoly game, Nancy. Oh, okay. Uh, whatever that is, I'm for non-Monopolies. <laughs> Except I like, I like the older pieces for Monopoly better than the new pieces. So maybe I'm for Monopoly? Maybe. Against Monopoly? I don't know. Monopoly is in my life. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Welcome back here. And we have a couple of friends of the show. First time here, we got Scott and Teresa. Hi, guys. How you doing? woo yeah, welcome to the group. This is your cue, Teresa. You're yeah. supposed to say hi. Hi. There she goes. She We're broke here. the ice. We're good now. We're going to have a great show this week, and we'll be talking later on to Brian Keith Dalton, Mr. Deedy. Oh, first, I'm looking forward to that. But first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. In the news, did you guys hear that um, we had, uh, remember we had Jody Emery oh, on the show? I thought about it. I know yeah. what you're going to say. Yeah, uh, go ahead. She, she was just arrested with her husband as they were uh, flying out of, they were trying to fly out of Toronto, mm-hmm. going to Spain for some cannabis convention, and they were arrested for trafficking. They sure were. And didn't, didn't they bust a couple of places? The police busted a couple of places after, here after while that, they were gone. Yeah. yeah, while they were gone. after uh, uh, While they were arresting them, the police in Vancouver uh, was starting to search some of their uh, stores because I think they have like 19 stores across the country. And uh, last I heard, the, uh, sus- uh, the police suspects that they might have some ties to organized crime. No, I, I don't. I, I, don't think that's, I think that's just another obstacle they can put in their way. So here's a question for you. Sure. Since we know Jody a little bit, as we bit. had her on the show, mm-hmm. do you think that when she went to jail, she was proud to be a martyr or really pissed that she's in jail? I think a little bit of both. I do, too. Yeah, I think a little. I mean, they, they are totally dedicated to the marijuana cause, and yeah. they, that's to be admired. You know, I admire their dedication for that. I also find it very strange that what people are not talking about here is, you know, uh, the the uh, liberal government promised to legalize marijuana. Mm-hmm. Why go through all the motion of doing this right now? They're supposed to be legalizing this very soon, right? You think there's something political we don't know that motivated this all of a sudden? I don't know. And considering also that Mark Emery was essentially given to the Americans where he spent several years in jail, I mean, this is, I don't know, it seems almost seems like a witch hunt at first glance. I think that was sick. You think that was sick? He should never have been given to the Americans. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that was basically a a bad uh, mark for our sovereignty, right? Well, all would be revealed in the future, so we'll we'll know if there's anything behind it, or we're just conspiracy theory-minded today. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In funner news, uh, did you guys hear that Egyptologists uh, said they have found a 26-foot-tall statue of Ramses II? I didn't put it there. I'm old, but I please, I don't blame. <laughs> don't come after me. I didn't. I didn't put it in there. Apparently, the statue is made out of quartzite. Say what? And there's also a life-size uh, life-size statue of Seti II, which is Ramses' grandson. 
And this is in a uh, Cairo neighborhood, and uh, they were doing some excavation, and they essentially found that. This Cairo neighborhood was built over the ancient city of Heliopolis, which was dedicated to Ra, the sun god, and not our friend Arnra. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, who knows? <laughs> yeah, so, so Ramses II apparently ruled for 66 years from the year 1279 B.C., so that's a huge piece of history, and apparently the, the statue is of great quality. Apparently it's very nice, although it's in pieces, but they, when they put it back together, it's uh, it's going to be something to behold. Yeah, no, I think that's fascinating, and it wasn't it in a, in a, in a work, a sort of a, you know, kind of a worker's area? Yeah, I think that's Working class area yeah. or something. I mean, can you imagine looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, what did we just hit with our shovel? Yeah, jackpot. A if jackpot. you're not yeah. gorgeous, that's for sure. Jackpot. And uh, on uh, an interesting other piece of news, the CBC reported that uh, apparently the TD Bank, there are some allegations that the TD Bank employees have admitted breaking the law to uh, meet sales quarters. Go! I, mean, I believe that. I know that a lot of banks are uh, trying to uh, push sales and sell of uh, new financial products on their customers. Uh, upon the news, the shares of uh, TD Bank fell by $3.88 a share, which is 5.5%, which is huge. And it actually, apparently, they say that it has wiped out all of their 2017 gains for the bank of T, for the TD Bank. Do you think they they had attended some Wells Fargo seminars? That's, and that's exactly what people were saying right away, back. right? The yeah. Wells Fargo uh, uh, debacle. That's my bank. <laughs> See, that's my <laughs> too. Oh, mine too. Uh, yeah. Employees apparently were under pressure to sell products, and they may and may uh, not be appropriate for the customers. And at, at least one in case, they have increased overdrafts and credit limits without customer knowledge. Um, now I know a lot without? of people say, "Well, you know, if you increase your credit limit without what, customer knowledge, without customer knowledge, how do they do that? They you do have it. to sign for that. No, you don't. No, really. Even even sometimes they, they will. I mean, I just uh, went through one of them. Uh, you're you're putting your card in the ATM machine, and the ATM basically says, "Hey, you want your credit increase from, you know, four thousand dollars on your credit card to sixty five hundred? Press yes, and that is it." Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that's what they did at well at Wells Fargo. The the um, they never knew about it. The account holders never knew that it had been opened up in in their name until the whole thing began to unravel. Mine so, started off with ten two thousand, and now it's. I don't even know, and every time you get the statement, it's up higher, and yeah. I never asked. At, fir at first glance, it seems like, oh, cool, I've got more credit, but it's also more potential for you to get into trouble, because revolving credit is exactly designed to do that. Well, believe it or not, it hurts your credit rating to have that revolving that credit. That too, that too. The the larger amount of credit that you hold, and not, not used, but just the available credit mm -hmm. to you, can actually hurt your credit rating. I think if you call the bank and tell them you want to lower your amount of credit, that I mean they've got it so that regardless of what you do, the bank comes out ahead. Surprise! Oh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah, exactly. So anyway, so we'll have to keep an, an eye on that. And if you are a customer of TD Bank, keep an eye on that as well, because you know it's, it's like I said, it might sound great at first to say, "Hey, I've got this more, much more credit buying power," but. It's also more potential for you to get into trouble. Yeah, for sure. All right, my dear Nancy, are you? Uh, we doing this segment of this day in history? Are we? Why don't we? Okay, let's do that. Okay. This is a little different. Rather than doing our uh, what has become our regular 
a listing of great bizarre events. What we're going to do is just pick out an event of the week and kind of spotlight that right. and then, then go on to some other things which shall be revealed as the show unfolds. Let's do that. Say. All right, so the dates between Mar- uh, March 6th and March 12th, the event of the week, I think, and I think everybody will agree with me, was March 8th, which was International Women's Day. Ooh. That was in the news for many, many reasons. There were some marches in the States and a lot of solidarity. And if any of you noticed on um, social media, they had women uh, scientists that they were spotlighting, women through history. There was an awful lot um, promoting the promoting the day. So, some were good. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know whether the, the women's strike was something that, I, I mean, I support everybody that does it, whether I personally would have participated I don't know, but mm. for those women that did, I support a hundred hundred percent. And for those issues that are aware, the women's strike where these women decide not to go to work, decide home, right. see what it was like to live in a world without women, without women helping forward. in the economy. Thank you. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, for every woman that struck, I guess there were four or five that wished they they could have. So yeah. that was just a fraction of the women who actually, you know, supported the event. So I noticed all of these things. And one thing that I noticed wasn't there that I thought I would cover today. And that is um, the most influential books that have influenced women through the ages because so many times we read a book that's life-changing and I think this is a list of 10 that in many many ways have been life-changing for women. Number one on the list is The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan which Mm. came out in 1963 Um, and I know you children don't remember that but us older guys and girls certainly remember that was right in the middle of all of the civil rights activities in in the states and those of us who are of an age who were brought up in the 50s know how restricted women were and our uh, career options were limited and when we read Betty Friedan it just blew our minds. We had meetings and coffees, and we'd sit around with our kids, and we'd quote passages from that. And um, through well, reading, and yeah, through, through yeah, exactly. Um, and many of us made decisions at that point to totally change our lives, to go back to school, to get out of a bad marriage, you know, to do some more reading, to expand ourselves. So I see why that was basically Wait a minute, one. wait a minute. Yes. Are you telling me that the whole true and tested Stepford wife model didn't work for you women? Yes. <laughs> and a rousing yes. And a rousing yes. Yeah, that's a yes. Second on the list was The Second Sense, uh, Second Sex by Simon de Beauvier. And I don't know whether that was as it's exciting a book, but it certainly got a lot of play to it. Uh, Virginia Woolf wrote one called A Room of One's Own. Didn't read that one, but Virginia Woolf is, is well known. Eve Ensler wrote The Vagina Monologues, mm-hmm. which was turned into a traveling show yes. and that that happens I think around Valentine's Day. Have you ever seen it? I've never seen it. I, I've never seen it. I think I've seen parts of it on television because they've had various readings uh, from time to time but I haven't seen Scott, you, you had a recurring role in it, didn't you? 
No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No. Scott, Scott, you got to, you know, you had the seat next to me when we did it in Surrey. So, oh, wait, we didn't want to say that. I'm sorry. That was me? Yeah, Teresa, I'm not, um, I'm, you're, you're out for this one, but, you know. <laughs> I gave you a pass today, but watch it for the next time around. Um, Kate Millett, Sexual Politics. Jermaine Greer, The Female Eunuch. That was a really popular book. That was in the 70s. That came a little after all the, the civil rights. Uh, the Beauty Myth by Natalie Wolf. Um, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Uh, the Color Purple by Alice Walker. That got a lot of people interested. Oprah had the book, yes. had a movie about it. That was, uh, did you ever read that book? That was not a feminist no, per I, se book, but it. I it stay was, away from Oprah. Yeah, Teresa, did you ever read The Color Purple? It's no. when you're, Scott, did you ever read No, that's I've a, never read that. Yeah, that's a, that's a book everybody, everybody should read. That was in 1982 and won a National Book Award and a Pulitzer Prize mm. for fiction. The last one was a, a book called A Vindication of the Rights of Women, and it was published in 1792. Wow. Yeah, so that was that was one of the earliest Women feminine works. Country. And I'm going to tell you the name of the author, and you tell me if the name is familiar to, to you. Mary Wollstonecraft. Does that name no. ring a bell? Anybody no. remember Frankenstein? No. Was Mary Shelley? Mary Shelley's mother was Mary Wollstonecraft, and Wollstonecraft was Mary's middle name. So wow. she was a feminist. Um, and a monster. <laughs> and she did an awful lot in writing and um, died very young when she was 38. Oh. So I've got to go back and read that one. I mean, we all know Frankenstein, but this is, you know, the mother of the author, and I think that the influence that she had on, on the daughter. The I stuff think you learn on this show, man. The stuff you learn on this show. I know. It's fascinating. Anyway, that brings to an end our historical event of the week. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nancy, so much for teaching us some more stuff about history. Awesome. I know. Now, you wanted to do something else. Well, we could do that. You want to do that now, or we can do yeah, that? Yeah, might as well. Okay, so we'll do So, we're that. doing a quack watch? We're going to do a quack watch. I'm going to call that uh, Scam Shams and Ultimate Hoaxes. How's that? I had one planned... But life interfered, as it always does, because there was a big article in the province about um, something called liberation therapy. And that has a fascinating, fascinating history, and the downfall came in Canada um, Mm -hmm. as of this month. Um, I think we're all aware of a disease called... um, multiple sclerosis and we know how it's a degenerative disease that uh, has patches of inflammation and and scarring that interfere with the function of the brain. Teresa, have you worked with people with MS? Yes, lots. And it's a debilitating uh, disease and people try a lot of things just to get relief. They really don't know when the symptoms are going to come, how long they're going to, and it's it's just a mystery. Well, back in um, uh, the early about 2009, a physician in Italy whose name was uh, I know these names just uh, it's awful by the time I get through with them. Uh, Paolo Zamboni 
his wife had multiple sclerosis and he was a vascular surgeon and he tend to see the world through those spectacles and I think his intention at first was ethical. I really get the feeling that he felt that the um, uh, thought that he came up with and then put into practice was really going to work. Um, So Dr. Zamboni, um, having his wife in mind, took 65 patients, and they had what they called relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis, and he performed a very simple operation on them. He thought that if he unblocked the restricted blood flow out of the brain, that that would relieve the pressure on the brain. So rather than coming at it from a, uh, a, disease, a, a condition that affected the myelin sheath, he thought that the blood flow relief and the pressure would have a dramatic uh, impact and reduce the symptoms. And eventually, I can't say that he thought it would be a cure. I'm uncertain about that, and I don't want to use that word. But the procedure was that he... Uh, would take a um, a balloon and um, have that balloon pretty much the way they do with um, patients who have restricted blockage because of stroke or because of other they have sten- what they call stenosis mm-hmm. and so he he had the balloon travel up to the vein and then he would have the blue the balloon inflated and forcing it open forcing it open which reduced the amount of stenosis and then he he thought or he noticed that after that procedure that um, the people with MS were finding definite um, uh, relief. So th- this was going on uh, up until, well, through 2016. Then in 2016, a, um, an article appeared in a very small sort of offbeat journal uh, talking about the fact that this procedure, which was called liberation therapy, was the new uh, um, positive hope for those with uh, with MS, and especially in um, in Canada, people began to do some reading. They, they actually had some groups that were forming um, that were um, uh, support groups, and they renamed. I've got to got to look. I've got to find my page now that has the. The name of it, it's, I'll find it in a second, I lost my little place. Anyway, they, um, they, they didn't want to call it liberation therapy. They wanted to call it uh, something that was, was scientifically closer to what it was, and they came up with chronic cerebrospinal venous insufficiency, and that was CCSVI for short, because that's a tough word, uh, yeah, you know, a series of words to come. Anyway, it, it generated the, the article that came out in 2016 um, uh, got people really thinking that this perhaps was a cure. And uh, doctors in the States and all over began to open clinics uh, devoted to the procedure. At this point, it got a little more notice, and reputable doctors began to look at this a little closer, and they didn't see any merit in it. 
But some of the people who had gone through the procedure swore that it worked. It attracted more patients who went to the states. And um, between 2016, the year 2016, there were th several thousand uh, from Canada who would go down to the states. And this isn't an easy procedure to have. And there was some question as to whether Dr. Zamboni and the um, the uh, uh, manufacturer of this particular medical advice that threaded th this uh, stent or stented this balloon up might have had a little financial. Mm -hmm. there, no proof of that, but there's some thoughts. Anyway, thousands of people went down to the states and they paid between ten and twenty thousand dollars for the procedure. And mm -hmm. I remember at the time that there were. Um, some articles against the Canadian doctors saying, well, they're not open enough to do this. And they, you know, and they were very critical of the fact that they weren't open to new procedures. But all the while, there were some growing uh, doubts because Dr. Zamboni never went through the scientific studies that would be peer-reviewed to show that it actually worked. So as this was going on and people were paying all this money in the background, in Canada, we have to be really, really proud about, about this, there were some doctors that thought they needed once and for all to uh, prove whether or not this procedure was uh, a reputable procedure or whether it was a quack. Mm -hmm. Anybody want to guess where this is where this is heading? I'm guessing it's going to be quack. Oh, I quack. know because I'm doing it on a quack show. <laughs> 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 anyway, a four a 5.4 million dollar study headed by University of BC and Vancouver Coastal Health researchers, headed by Dr. Anthony Traboli... I'm going to ruin this name. Trabolisi. I'm so sorry, doctor. You did such a good thing, and I shouldn't be doing this to your wonderful name. But anyway, <laughs> he was a UBC associate professor of neurology and the director of the MS Clinic Center for Brain Health. So he and his team did the proper research. They did the double blind, mm -hmm. which means that the patients didn't know whether they were getting the enlargement or just a balloon and the doctors administering the procedure didn't know. That's the only way only way to do that. There were 104 participants in the study. It was funded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research and the MS Society and three provinces, BC, Manitoba, and Quebec, um, participated. And what they did was after minor sedation, all of the participants had a catheter inserted through an incision in their groin and it was threaded up. Ouch. Yeah. This was not anything oh, like a pill that no. normal this is what the MS patients were going were going through. They were so desperate yeah. that and this had the aura of uh, of a true medical and scientific procedure. I actually remember the news about this. That's I, right. I, I, I mean the, Dr. Zamboni, you know, it really seemed as though this was something that was going to work and that's why patients were willing to go through that, not as a phony baloney machine that was, yeah. you know, a woo-woo machine. It's not Dr. Hostry. Right. So they, the, the, the uh, balloon was, was set up, and the patients didn't know whether they got the balloon or, or didn't. So almost a year later, there was a crossover, and the participants got the procedure they didn't have the first time. So they went through this twice, and what they found 
um, and he he re he released the the team released the results before it got published in the journal because there were so many patients that are heading down for this procedure that mm -hmm. they wanted to to essentially put a, a stop to people who were vulnerable and hopeful that something was going to work when yeah. the, the scientific community knew that it it absolutely wasn't. So the symptoms were measured by the doctors and reported by patients three days after each procedure and then again a year later, um, and then it's six months, and then again a year after. And the researchers conducted MRI imaging of the patients as well, and what they found was there was no significant improvement. Mm -hmm. So that debunked. Um, and I think Dr. Zamboni is still active. Yeah. I think some of the clinics are still active. But we'll see after this release of information whether whether or not. I mean, this is a different um, uh, sham because it involved actual medical yeah. procedures. Yeah. And as I say, whether Dr. Zamboni is a charlatan or whether he actually thought that he was on to something, I can't say. My, my research, didn't. it's, it's inconclusive, so I'm, I'm not going to make well, a Well, he had to make a very compelling case to have societies of MS and a major university and the funding to do a study of five point what was it five point four million? Five point four million. So you have to have a very compelling case for for these guys to go to like this length and say you know he might be onto something. Yeah. And of course, what he's got right now is anecdotal evidence. And although as a skeptic, it doesn't weigh much for a lot of people. It it's worth something. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a anybody that wants to look it up um, under liberation therapy, under Dr. Zamboni, under MS Cure. There's a lot of ways that uh, that, that you can look mm -hmm. it up. But it's it's very timely. It shows that when people are desperate for a cure or desperate for relief, they will do anything. Yeah, yeah. And totally and that. doctors that take that anything, you know, and pocket that money when they, they know that their patients aren't going to improve. There ought to be some consequence or penalty. But the, and some, as I understand, some of the doctors in the States, when they, they diagnose this as cerebral spinal, you know, whatever, whatever, um, they were actually billing insurance companies and receiving yeah. money. So we'll see what happens with the consequences. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it is. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that one. Next week or the next time we'll do one on ortho... Um, molecular... Yeah, orthomolecular... Um, that thing therapy. we talked about yep. last time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, my mind, if my mind just didn't shut off in the middle of the sentence, we'd do okay. Got to be a trigger. Got to be a switch that keeps your mind on, right? Absolutely. Okay, I'll find it. So in the meantime, we'll keep doing another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. I've got a nice little story for you guys here today. Do you guys ever hear about Senator Lynn Bayek? I've heard the name. This is right here in the country. She's a conservative senator. And she mounted a defense of the, oh, guess what? The residential school system for Aboriginal children in the Red Chamber. No. She defended that. She lamented that the good deeds accomplished by the well-intentioned religious leaders have been overshadowed by negative reports documenting by the documented by the Truth and Recon Reconciliation Commission. Quote, I speak partly for the record, but mostly in memory of the kindly and well-intentioned men and women and their descendants whose remarkable works, good deeds, and historical tales in the residential schools go unacknowledged for the most part, she said. 
The commission, which uh, conducted an exhaustive six-year study of the system, found physical, mental, and sexual abuse was rampant, and some 6,000 children died while in care because of malnourishment or disease. What do you say to something like that? I mean, she's, I can understand you, you want to defend some of your conviction, but, I mean, come on. Can we fire her? Does no, she, she's a senator. We can't. Does she know Dr. Ben Carson from the States? <laughs> <laughs> I think the two would make a charming couple. I really do. I think we ought to put them someplace akin to the things that they believe. I think we ought to put them in a situation that they that they believe in, and let's see how they do. Let's see how it turns. I think we should. Why not? You bet they're advocates. The, uh, the, uh, there's a, another senator, Senator Murray Sinclair, who served as the chief commissioner of the Truth and Recon- Reconciliation Commission, sat in the chamber during her speech, and he was, like, shocked. And he says, I'm a bit shocked, Senator, that you still hold some views that have been proven to be incorrect over the years, but nonetheless, I accept that you have the right to hold them, he said. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean... Um, she, said, she continues, she says, I was disappointed in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report that it didn't focus on the good... The people talk. The people I talk to are Christians, uh, and this is why it's another brilliant moment to, brought to you by religion. Um, you know, I think this is a very good example of Christians overlooking atrocities because of a few charitable moments they had. And now it's a bit like you saying, you know, all the the ravages your church has done. Yeah, you're right, but you know, we do some good works in Africa. You know, it's like. And you're right, and there are some good people in those charities, absolutely. Yeah, but, and those Nazis sure made good chicken soup during the Holocaust. There we go. There yeah. we go. That's exactly it. You have to look at the bigger picture, right? Uh, it's the same thing with Hamas or, or these uh, Muslim organizations. Yeah, they, they're, they're sponsoring terrorism, but they're also providing food for the needy. Oh, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what to say about something like that. Any thoughts? How do we change the law so we can fire her? Uh, have to do some Senate reform, I guess. That's about Senate the reform. <laughs> oh well, unbelievable. Hey, unbelievable. So we'll have to keep an eye on her, and this is why voting is important. So we'll have to keep an eye on that and see where it goes. So thank you so much for that, guys. So now we're just going to take a pause, and we'll be right back with Brian Keith Dalton. Stay with us. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information? The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today. Water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible.
If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like Life, the Universe, and everything else. Ray Comfort, his big stumper was literally, which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of the interviews took place in front of a building that said liberal arts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that they're not all science majors. (laughs) Life, the Universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? All right, and we're back. Now, I'm just going to play a quick clip here of what he does at Brian Keith Dalton. And it's going to be interesting to see because people don't have any idea what he does. He's a bit of a comedian, and uh, people that might not know him don't know exactly what he does. Oh, you're in for a treat. Oh, yeah. So we'll play a quick clip here before we bring him on, and then we'll talk to him. So let's listen to this. The problem, Timmy, is the bang, or the lack thereof. Sir, there is no sound in a void. Well then let's get rid of the void. Who needs that thing, alright? I'm not gonna pay for a big bang without a bang. That's like asking me to pay for a wagon wheel and not getting a wheel. What do you want me to do here, sir? I want you to make this thing sound like a Bruckheimer film. Did you tell him about the problem? With the bang? No, about the whole time thing. We're having a really hard time. I told him we could do this in seven days. No, not that. The whole creating time thing. No one's figured out how to do it. We can't just create time? Well, what we've figured out is in order to create anything, we already have to have time. All right, look. In any act of creation, you first have to have a moment where there is none of whatever it is you're creating, right? Right. Right. And then the next moment you create the thing, and there it is. Right, so what's the problem? Well... In order to create time, time already has to exist. See, we first have to have a moment where there is no time, at which point we create time, and then there is time. But to have that first moment requires an already existing fabric of time. So we need to find time to make time. Right. And what kind of time are we talking about? Any time. How much? Just some time. And that'll give us... All the time. R&D has been working on this? Over time. So can we get this done in time? In time or on time? Both, really. I don't know. We're running out of time. We gotta pick up the pace on this then. Double time. Got it. If we can't figure this out, what are we looking at? Downtime. Serious downtime. Downtime? Big time. But if we figure this out, what do we got? Nothing but time. And after that, we won't need you for another 15 billion years. Okay, so vacation time. All right, let's put everybody on this and get this show on the road. Showtime. Right. In the meantime, we're in the same boat with this nothingness project. What's the matter? Matter. We can't have any of it. We have to shun it completely. So I have to completely change my, my position on the matter. Right. I guess I can be antimatter. No, 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 no. We can't have any antimatter either. I thought antimatter was just the opposite of... Uh, no, it, it's still something. And we need... Nothing. And without it, we can't create... Anything. Well, that messes up everything. everything. <sighs> Why do I need to create time and nothingness? Well, if you want to be the god of Aquinas... Right. The big G, you need to create absolutely everything. From nothing? Right. Boy, that's something. Plus, we don't actually know if nothingness is even possible. I mean, it's certainly not probable. Well, why? Because? Well, because there are an infinite number of ways in which something can exist, but there's really only one way in which nothing can exist. Plus, nobody's ever actually seen or experienced nothingness. I mean, even when it was just you, that was still something. So we need to create nothing so I can create everything? And we don't have much time. Well, we can't have any time, if I understood you correctly. Well, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, so, um... Well, how about this? What, what if we just ran out of time? What do you mean? What if we just ran out of time? Brilliant. Right? What if we just ran out of everything? Well, then we'd have... 
Nothing. We'd have nothing. Sir, that's the key to this whole thing. You are a genius every time. I think it's nothing. No, we actually have something this time. Now if I can just get some free time. Well, if we pull this off, you deserve a little me time. Well, hey, sweetie, what is this? Tea time. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That was it's awesome. Brilliant. The time you, to write it is one thing, but to pull it off with that gorgeous timing about time. <laughs> gorgeous. Gorgeous. So, right. So, joining us today is a personal favorite of mine, and uh, we got Mr. Dee Dee himself, uh, Brian Keith uh, Dalton. Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. See, that's our live audience. We got you like a whole bunch of room full of people here just for you. Yes, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you're quite popular in the United States. You might not be as well known north of the 49th. Would you be so kind to introduce yourself in your words and give us the Reader's Digest on who Brian Keith Dalton is? Sure, yeah. I'm uh, I'm just some schmuck with a web show, basically. Uh, <laughs> I started a web show back in 2007. Yes, it's been 10 years, called Mr. Deity. It was a satire about God and religion. And it kind of took off, and we uh, got picked up by Sony for the second season, left after that, came back, started doing it on our own, and now I do, uh, I have four shows that I, that I do just uh, randomly, uh, generally three, three a month. Uh, Mr. D Goes to Washington is the newest, that's my political show, and then I have The Way of the Mister, which I started in response to Kirk Cameron and What's the Aussie preacher, the, the banana man? I can't remember. Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort. <laughs> yeah, they, they started the way of the master, and so I thought I'd start the way of the mister. Oh, that's, right. uh, that's oh. where it's from. That's brilliant. Um, Comment, commentary on uh, religious issues, and uh, and then uh, Mr. Deity, and uh, I, I've started a series called The God Distraction, which is kind of a, a big primer on what I call apathyism. Mm. Uh, the subtitle is I don't care if God exists and neither should you which basically outlines my reasons for why I don't care if God exists even if God exists so it doesn't take it doesn't even assume there is no God it assumes maybe there is a God but here's why you shouldn't care so that's the that's the thrust of that mm. and that we're turning into a book so that will um, you're a busy man obviously a little bit yeah 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 yeah. So, so how did how did the whole concept of the the whole idea of Mr. Deity come about? Well, it was in response to the 2004 tsunami. I had written uh, a piece about uh, this, just this little thing that was going on in my mind about the conversation God would have had with with an assistant about the need for natural disasters, because I feel like there's enough gratuitous suffering in the world already. And what what was the reason for God? allowing natural disasters to also screw us over and that turned into mr deity and the evil and we shot that uh years later probably a couple of years later and uh put that up and that things just took off from there the snowball. And, then, yeah. and then you said you were picked up on the second season by sony yeah we did the second season for sony's crackle um, within probably within three months, we had all kinds of media companies interested in us. Actually, it was less than that. It was two months. We got offers from all kinds of 
companies, and we thought, well, Sony's a big six media player, so let's go with them. And that didn't turn out too well. So, um, but you know, the money was good for that for that one season. <laughs> That's a lot of encouragement right there. Yeah, yeah. The money is good. Often uh, is the reason behind, well, almost everything that I can think of. <laughs> that would do it. Yeah. So, so uh, do, do, do you mind me asking why is it that you guys parted ways with Sony? Um, well, they didn't promote the show the way they said they were going to. I think they thought uh, Crackle was going to be to be supplanting YouTube. Uh, and it didn't. And uh, we just kind of floundered. We lost a lot of our audience because we couldn't post on YouTube anymore where we had started. Uh, they allowed us to keep our iTunes feed, so everyone moved there. And then uh, we just we couldn't take the show to where we wanted to take it mm. um, and where they wanted to take it, frankly, with including some, some bigger names to get some more attention. And they, couldn't, they just couldn't get the people interested in doing the show that they wanted to as well so we just kind of mutually parted ways and they were very good about letting me you know have the show back and do pretty much anything i want with it so um creative control that's all it is right yeah and they were very hands-off i gotta say uh you know they they had a few suggestions about changing this or changing that just because people wouldn't know this or wouldn't know that so the show got a little more the second season was a little more um I don't know that I would say pedestrian, but a little broader than the first. And then by the third season, I came back with a vengeance because in between the first and the third, uh, we had Prop 8 here in 2000, California, which yes. blew my mind. Uh, I, I was actually I was blindsided by that one. I did not see it coming because, you know, California is a reliably blue state in big ways as we saw in the last election now proposition I, eight for for canadian uh, listeners is a, a proposition that uh, was anti-gay uh, right yes anti anti-gay anti-gay marriage and i, I was just flabbergasted <laughs> it yeah. was, and the mormon and so church I, was said to have put a lot of money towards proposition eight yes mormons and catholics and evangelicals really spent a big chunk of change uh trying to pass that and they did and and uh, eventually it was ruled unconstitutional it's part of it's kind of part of the not exactly part of the obergefell decision but it's it's tied in with that that uh, allowed finally allowed gay marriage in america mm, mm, okay uh you yourself used to be a mormon right you came out of mormonism i am a foreman i call myself <laughs> i'm trying to get <laughs> Right on. <laughs> Everyone to use that term, that's a former Mormon. <laughs> former. And I love it. Yes, I was, I was in the church for the first 27 years of my life. For the last 10 of that, I was in it with a vengeance, as, as Woody would say, and really was, you know, went hog wild into the religion when I was about 17 and started to, started to lose it probably within five or six years, and then with, there was a slow... Uh, kind of discovery process that led me out finally at 27. Hmm. I, I mean, so. we don't get a lot of Mormons up here. Uh, we have more Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses than Mormons. So, so what, what was it like to be a, uh, being a Mormon? What was your experience like? Um, I don't suspect it was all that different from being any other, you know, like 
you know, really uh, kind of uh, right-wing fundamentalist uh, Christian type, um, except for Mormonism is good at dominating your life. I mean, it's, it's, there's, you know, there's no paid clergy, so everyone in the church kind of has a job and a position, and we have our unpaid priesthood, and so you all have so much to do with the church during out the during the, the entire week that it's it's really kind of a totalitarian system and i'm not even saying that pejoratively it just it just takes up your life it's it's a it's a thing and that way i think it's a little different than than most christian religions although a lot of a lot of christians do you know have their meetings during out throughout the week and all that kind of thing hmm. but um you know the the only real big dim- difference is that we had the you know we I went to the temple once a month and uh, practiced the uh, the secret ceremonies that are uh, you know about the worst thing that I can say about them is they're just boring as hell <laughs> and uh, you know there's nothing people often think there's something ominous and you know awful going on in there there's not they're just boring the shit out of people <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what that what plan got you know I think we can keep people really interested in the religion if we just bore the shit out of them <laughs> and that's what that was I, I I frequently had to like wait people up next to me because there's they're standing and you know up and down you sit and you stand up and down and then you you know you put on different clothing uh, that you bring in with you you know, to put on an apron to represent the, the fig leaf given to Adam and blah, 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 blah. Say what? And I, I was constantly having to nudge someone next to me who had fallen asleep. <laughs> it's, it's real exciting when you go in there the first time you think the secrets of the kingdom are going to be revealed to you. And it, it was one of the most, probably the, the day of my life where I really started thinking, Wait, what? <laughs> my first time in there, I just went. That was it. that's it. This is, you know, I, I've been hearing about this amazing experience. It's supposed to be the spiritual experience of your life, and it's just you just walk out going, what? What? What happened there? What just happened? What was that? So I gather there's not much about Mormonism that you miss. <laughs> there's really not. There's really not. And, uh, you know, the good parts I took with me. I mean, I, I do think I learned uh, quite a few uh, really good things and things that I, I would like. You probably learned to get dressed interested. really quickly. I'm sorry? You probably learned to get dressed really quickly, right? So you all cover no, and change no, your clothes? No, but there are some... There are some things that I still I still look back on, and I, I think I'm so glad I learned that. One of them is Mormonism. Mormons are very big on going the extra mile. Um, you know, Jesus Jesus taught, you know, if someone asks for your coat, give them your cloak too, and you know, you go the you go you don't take the guy only as far as you want to or should. You take him even a little further if you're helping somebody out and. And there's a lot of that in my personality. I think that's that's really helped me over the years. I think be a better person. So, you know, I try to take. Uh, I'm not going to throw anything out that that's not useful. So, and that's that was basically the process I went through. I started thinking, okay, what is what do I want to keep in my life? What's worthy and and good? And I'll keep that. And what what what's not? I'll just get rid of it. Hmm. Uh, so that was my process for kind of working through 
my whole life at the age of 26, 27. Yeah, you either benefit from something or learn from it, and you've been able to do both with, with Mormonism, which is, which is great, and that you're grateful for it. Uh, it says a lot right. about you. Well, there was a, you know, the thing that really started me is I was, you know, most Mormons are very conservative, and in my conservatism, I started to lean towards libertarianism, and I found a philosopher that I really liked named Robert Nozick, who was a philosopher at Harvard for years and years, and, and a libertarian and all of that. But he, he wrote some interesting books on philosophy, and in one of them he talked about how, you know, Socrates' statement about the unexamined life not, worth, not being worth living was a little harsh, but to the extent that we really don't examine our lives and know what we think about things, we're living the lives of somebody else because we're living their thoughts and their ideas and their philosophies. And we have to examine, step back and ask, what do we really think about things? And that's that's kind of what I was doing. I kind of decided I'm going to put everything to the side for a minute and then I'm going to walk around and I'm going to look and see what I, you know, I, I think is worth picking back up. And I just couldn't get to the Mormonism part, I couldn't pick it back up. Yeah. Once I put once I put it aside, because it, it's, you know, the the thing about Mormonism that's very unique is that it's so objectively, empirically false. <laughs> um, and I don't. I'm not even saying that as a laugh line. I know it's funny, but um, you know, Christianity. You got to go back two thousand years, and the records are scarce and. You know, there's a lot of hard digging you have to do there. Mormonism is so recent. You know, it's not even it's not even 200 years old. Um, the guy had people walking around writing down everything he was saying, like he was, you know, like he was a prophet of God. <laughs> and um, and so it's very easy to figure these things out. Plus, the the Book of Mormon itself is nothing but a, a series of empirical claims, which we've been able to test now and it's just it's just bullshit it's just there's no there's no doubt in anyone's mind who actually looks at that with a with a skeptical rational eye that's going to go no yeah i think he was right on everything it's just there's just so much wrong about it wait a and, minute are you saying uh, wait a minute are you saying that black people are not inherently evil uh, I'm not sure I'm saying that. I don't want to commit to that at this point. <laughs> but, but uh, no, the, you know, the, the thing for me that really clinched it was in the early 90s, the DNA, it was becoming clear through DNA that the Native Americans were not Hebrews, which is, which is really one of the central claims of the Book of Mormon. And if the Native Americans aren't Hebrews, you can just throw the whole thing out. It's, it's a ridiculous <laughs> lie. So... I got. I got to ask Brian. Um, for people all over the world, I'm sure they're very curious about this. Did you have to wear the magic underwear? I did wear the magic underwear. Yes, I did. <laughs> and about the, the about the worst thing I can say about those is they're just they're just ugly. <laughs> Up to the magic underwear, everything you've said reminds me of an Amway convention I went to. But I mean, <laughs> yes, very much, very much. Yes, it's very much the same thing. You know, but uh, they, you know, but I always try to say that they are good people. They're some of the best people. If I could pick my neighbors, I would have a Mormon living on each side of me. They're, they're still terrific people. And, uh, and they do um, jump in to help I, 
Yeah. I think they're coming. I think they're coming around because from the reports that I've been reading and people within the church who I know who've been leaving, there is a mass exodus underway really? within Mormonism, and it's partially their own fault because they they came out with these thirteen essays that were supposed to keep people in by kind of giving explanations to things, but. In them, apparently, they, I haven't read all of them, I've only read one, but apparently they've kind of copped to a lot of the stuff that those anti-Mormons, and I guess I'm one of them now, those anti-Mormons have been saying for a hundred years. So, um, I, I just had an old friend uh, write me a Facebook message, someone who I thought would never leave, and this person is now gone. Wow. And it's, and it's because they read these things and started thinking a bit for themselves, and yeah, it's. Uh, I never thought they would leave, but they're gone. Hmm. So it's it's kind of a kind of an exciting time on that front. You know, Brian, uh, Chris, uh, the late Christopher Hitchens used to say that humor is the beginning of emancipation. Uh, yes. Do you feel that with your Mister Deity series, you had a very effective strategy? Did you see some good results? Ha. Well, um, what an incredibly stupid question. <laughs> I wasn't strategizing, you know, it wasn't, when I started writing them, I was just trying to be funny, you know, it's, uh, and you it's succeeded. A, a, well, thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a topic that at the time when I started doing it in 2000, I, I, we shot the first ones in 2006 and it was just around the time when, you know, all the, the four horsemen's books were coming out, Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens and Dennett. And, it was an untapped minefield when I when I got into it. There were a few people who had done religious humor, um, but they were pretty marginalized. And um, you know, I, I I don't know if you know the story of Life of Brian, but they couldn't get the funding for that, and it was only because of George Harrison, oh, uh, really? the the former Beatle, who who gave them the money to make that that movie. So when I got in, it was just like, boy, I can really, <laughs> I can really tap this, this well, and you know, I'm still not even close to. I haven't even gotten close to getting through all of the Bible stories. It's, <laughs> it's. There's just so much material there. It's you have it's an ridiculous. unlimited supply of. I mean, let's face it. There's an unlimited supply, <laughs> there, and, but you will really never is. run out. Never, ever, ever will you run out. Here, yeah, here's and a fun fact. Crazy, crazy people keep giving you more. Cindy Jacobs just said last week that Christians have to be wealthy so that they can make the Jews jealous. Oh, <laughs> my God. I, I kid you not. Oh. I kid you not. Oh, my God. So. If, you ever, if you ever run out, which of course you're not going, you, all, you also have American politics. So between the two, I mean, well, talk about, talk about right. a gold mine that, that you, you have at your disposal forever. You couldn't have done better, buddy. Yes, although <laughs> our politics have turned from comedy to tragedy lately. Oh, I would agree. Oh. So. You know, here, here's a little tragedy. <laughs> here's a little fun fact for you, Brian. Uh, in Canada, there actually is a blasphemy law that's they're working yes. on. Yes, they're actually working on repelling, and the only time it was actually used was for Life of Brian. Oh, is that right? I that's did not right. know that. Yeah, it's the only time it was actually used to, to stop wow. Life of Brian from being shown in some parts of the country. I can't exactly know where. So, oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's we just boot Blas it. A blasphemy law just seems nuts to me. Oh, yeah. American. I mean, it's so anti anti the antithesis of what 
the First Amendment is about. But uh, yeah, I, that's, that kind of stuff is horrible. But I'm glad they're getting rid of it. I hope you guys get rid of that. That needs to be. So, gone. are you guys Canadian, by the way? Yeah, we're well, yeah, we're all Canadians. Oh, okay. Well, Nancy's uh, she, she's an export. She used to live in Texas, and now she's in Canada. So, I freaking love Canada and Canadians. Awesome. Come on up here anytime. You're welcome. <laughs> Next time, I, the beer's I've on me. Been there, I've been there quite a few times, so I go up there and speak every now and then. And oh, but, but uh, if you come, bring your dogs. <laughs> yeah, they don't. One of them that wouldn't travel at all. A cookie would be fine, but my greyhound would be free. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bring, bring cookie. I'll I'll babysit. Okay, there we but go. on top of being a, a comedian and I, you're an excellent writer of your skits, there, you're also apparently a talented musician. I used to be. Yeah, I'm a bit of a hack now because I haven't I haven't taken it seriously for a very long time. But when I was uh, pretty young I, I i got really good by the time i was 12 and started playing in bands and doing performances and and whatnot and uh and then at about 17 i switched over to keyboards um and taught myself keyboards so i my guitar playing stopped which was my biggest strength <laughs> and thankfully i did have a teacher who was crazy about music theory so i was able to transfer a lot of my knowledge over to music and then uh or over to keyboards but i'm i'm not very good uh, on anything now i'm but i but i do know music very well i know the theory in the background and, mm. and i can i can listen to music and be totally annoyed uh which is which is basically what you end up getting by knowing a lot of music theory <laughs> stuff that stuff that everyone else loves you can't enjoy now it's beautiful so um, <laughs> now you've taken the, you've taken a completely different tone with you some of your more recent works getting into politics and uh, the the way the mister the kind of like rant likes they're not so much comedy uh is that is that are you, are you giving up on the original mr Deity or are you going to keep on doing those two well no i will still continue to make them when i can but we oh, lost goodness. we lost a good uh you know we lost half the cast basically i have jimbo moved to the other side of the country and when he's here now in town and we shoot every every other month almost um at a studio for some other people we still work together doing a video production every now and then and when he's here i'm going to try to get him in i did that last time he was here i got him into the front part of a of a skit um but sean is uh who played jesus is kind of giving up has given up on the acting front a bit and has you know taken a day job and so he's a little harder to get i got him in last year once and but amy and i can still do things every now and then but she she's pretty busy busy too mm -hmm. so it's just hard to get the group together when I can find someone else. I have found someone that I want to bring in from New York to do an episode I've wanted to do for a long time. And I think she's going to be amazing. It's going to be one of my all-time favorite episodes. Oh, excellent. So we're hoping to shoot that in the next couple months. Excellent. But yeah, the, the other stuff is, the other stuff is simply because I've, you know, I, I've, I've, I've realized that, yeah, it's, it's great to hit, on the comedy front and plant a little seed with satire, but there is also a need to give people some ammunition uh, who are, you know, I, I, you know, people say I'm preaching to the choir, but I think it's giving people the ammunition they need. Uh, so I research topics and uh, present my thoughts on them via the way of the mister 
or um, Mr. D goes to Washington on the political front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I try to be a little funny on, on in everything. I'm always I'm always trying to throw a little humor in there because I do think it's it really is a a, a, a crack. It's a crack in the in the armor, yeah. as it were, when you can throw a little humor in. It's hard to. It's hard to really disagree with something you're laughing at. No, I don't you know? agree. I don't and, agree. And laughing, laughing is an involuntary response. So if you laugh at it and you get it, there's something in you that's going, yeah, boy, there's a little truth in there. And in almost all of humor, it's not true completely, but in almost all of humor, there's a there's a kernel, there's a grain of truth, yeah. at, at least. So you know, there's Homer's line. It's funny because it's true. Woo-hoo! You know, is 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 pretty pretty accurate. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for joining us here today. But the mic is all yours, my friend. Feel be shameless. Go right ahead and plug yourself. Is where can people find you? Where are your next projects? Uh, I'm the the one place I would tell them to go first is Patreon. If you want to support the show, there's Patreon slash Mr. Deity M R D E I T Y, or just look up Brian Keith Dalton. And uh, we're on YouTube. We're almost all exclusively now on YouTube. I've, I've not really done anything with the iTunes feed for a long time. And um, MrDD.com. Awesome. I'll give you the links you need, to, you need to find me. All right. One last thing before I let you go, Brian. Can I get you to say, hi, I'm Brian Keith Dalton, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm Brian Keith Dalton, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Brian Keith Dalton. Oh, Mr. Dee. What a nice guy. I know. What a really nice guy. Thank you, Kevin. That was one of the one of the all time good I'm, I always say that when the <laughs> I think I say that every other week. That was one of our best shows. I've been looking they, forward to this interview for a I while. I know. Now. All our shows just keep getting better yeah. and I just I hope we have him back. I just love him. Yeah, I've I've been uh I've been, I tried to catch him in the marginal religion. He fell ill unfortunately we yeah. can't him, but I'm glad we caught him. Uh, I'm just a big fan of his work, and I encourage you guys to encourage him on Patreon and all that. Oh, yeah. Anybody listening that's not familiar, Google um, Brian Keith Dalton and go to Mr. Deity and the other, and just when you're feeling low or you're really feeling high and want to stay that way, (laughs) play any of his episodes. They're just wonderful. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Scott, Teresa, thank you for joining, being part of the show today. Thank, thank you, you guys for having me. Yeah, of course. You're welcome back anytime. Somebody else in your audience wants to join us, let us know. We'll bring you in. It's always a fun thing to do. Coming up next week, we have Cara Santa Maria, which is uh, the skeptic, uh, one of the skeptics' guide to the galaxy, or is it the universe? One of those. And uh, she's also a science educationer. Uh, education. I like Educator. that education. Thank you. No, that's, I like the education. Can't even speak, apparently. Uh, the week after that, we have Jeb Newman of the Life, the Universe, and Everything Else podcast. It's a Guinea podcast. I'll be on. And we have our friend Anthony Avisto Bussell that comes back April Fool's Day. And it's not a joke, but he's actually going to be with us. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on iTunes. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at LETV Podcast. You can follow us home when we're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Just whenever you want to follow us, we're ready. Leftatvalley.com. Send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook.com. Anything else you guys want to say before we go? No, thanks for listening and looking forward to next week. All right. Thank you, guys. Until next time. What, you want to say something before you go? No, 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 I'm good. I'm I just good. said after, until next time. It's done, man. It's done. Get to the show. <laughs>
it comes from culture Only true on a regional scale Science is universal For you to say that Horus isn't real But Jesus is Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu You don't believe in them I think the reason is apparent You do what you're told And believe in the God assigned by your parents I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance And you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Atheist, atheist I'm an atheist Atheist, atheist I'm an atheist Let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business, he loves money too much We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them, we teaching them to respect them Respect them the system is broke down, working backwards in the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone Speak your mind, time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist, 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 I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist